0: Today I'm speaking on the sanctity of marriage because we're in the Sermon on the Mount and we're getting to the verses. We're at verse 31 where Jesus speaks primarily about divorce. And you can appreciate, as I well do, that this is an extremely difficult and delicate subject to speak about today. I think it is the most difficult subject that a pastor will ever speak about. For many today, the the pain of divorce is real in your lives. Perhaps you've personally experienced divorce firsthand. Maybe as a spouse, maybe as a child, watching your parents' marriage come apart. Maybe as a parent watching your children's marriage come apart. Many here today know the pain that divorce brings, the rejection, the pain, and the loneliness. There may well be others here today who still wrestle with the guilt associated with a divorce. It's not easy to speak about divorce in the church because Christians have so many different views on the subject. Some Christians believe that marriage is an indissoluble union between a man and a woman. Other Christians believe there are multiple grounds for divorce. It's also a very complex issue and a superficial reading of the scriptures. Which I fear is what many do, is not adequate. We have to dig deep. And you're going to be challenged today if you track with me in this message, challenged to think. Interestingly enough, this is an issue that was used to trap Jesus. The Pharisees came to Jesus and tried to trap him. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife? They're trying to catch him out, to get Jesus to say things that will get him into trouble, that will upset people. If Jesus says A, then all the people that believe B will be upset. If he says B, all the people that hold to A will be upset. So this is a a minefield, and Jesus experienced it that way as well. Jesus was very clever, though, in how he responded to people that came to trap him. Here's another great example of people trying to trip Jesus up and trap him. Luke 20. Jesus was John the Baptist a prophet from God, or was he just a man doing his own thing? Jesus knows this is a, this is a serious trick question now because if he says, you now whatever he," Is someone's going to be upset? Is my mic dropping, Trevor, again? Let me revert to something else. How, how does this one sound? Much better. Good. So there were other examples where Jesus said this. Well, you've got a question for me. I'm not going to answer your question until you answer my question. So that was one another way he got out of things. Another way of getting out was simply to say, people, I'm not going to tell you what you're asking about John. And I've been very tempted to do the same myself. (laughs) To plead the fifth. I mean, why step out and talk about this issue and risk offending people? But this is such an important issue. The church has to speak about divorce and remarriage. And sadly... It's not spoken about often enough. I want to have a personal word from me to you if you've been divorced or you've remarried someone that's been divorced. I want you to know that there are people that are dear to me that have been divorced, that have remarried. I love and respect people. that that are divorced and remarried. I consider them part of my friendship circle. And if you're a Christian today, I want to give you my assurance, I'm here to support you in your walk with the Lord. But my job is to preach God's word without fear and without favor. And that's what I owe all of you. Someone might say, Well, Howard, why can't you just give a nice talk about marriage? You know, of six points. That's because preaching is taking what Jesus has said and making that clear and real to people. Preaching's not me giving a nice pep talk on what I think is a good idea to, to do in marriage, preaching is taking God's word and what the Bible says and making that clear to people. And what we do with what God's word says really is our business. So my intention today is not to upset anyone. It's not to offend. But I do want you to, to track with me as we look at some of the scriptures today. By the way, divorce is a huge problem in South Africa. In 2017, For every 100 marriages that were registered, there were 38 divorces registered. That's almost 40% of people are getting divorced. If you're a woman and you're 40, well, that's when it's most likely to happen. If you're a man and you're 43, that's when it's statistically most likely to happen. How's this for a sobering statistic from Stats SA? 62% of births in South Africa that were registered last year had no information on fathers. Now that either means mothers are very bad at filling in forms, which is a possibility, you know, because they got a baby and it's just one extra thing to fill in. Or they don't know who the father is. Or they certainly don't ever want their child finding out who the father is. (laughs) Either way, this is not good. And paints a picture of how acceptable not doing it God's way is. What about divorce among Christians? It's often said that the divorce rate among Christians is even higher as it is among non-Christians. That's nonsense. It's not higher. It's a lot lower. And the more dedicated and devout you are in your faith, the way least likely, at least statistically, and of course there are outliers and exceptions, people are to get divorced. But South Africa's best known pastor married a woman who'd already been married twice before and then still got divorced. I'm talking about Ray McCauley. Even Benny Hinn, and we could spend a lot of time talking about Benny, he divorced his wife Suzanne and then later saw the light and got married to her again. So there there are Christian leaders out there setting a terrible example for people. And all I want to say is what message does it send the world when Christians can't stay married What does that say about the power of the gospel? What does it say about reflecting the relationship between Christ and the church? Marriage is a a sacred relationship. Marriage is no ordinary friendship with a bit of sex thrown in. It is a sacred union. It is a God thing. Marriage is embedded. It is hardwired into creation. The purpose of marriage is for companionship, for mutual support, and for procreation. And God's plan for marriage precedes creation because that's why God made us male and female. It's so that marriage could be a thing. It's not, oh, wow, there's, there's males and there's females. What am I going to do about that? Okay, marriage. No, it's first in the idea mind of God is marriage. Then it's right. I'm going to make them male and female. Have you seen this latest way to spell the word woman? You now use an X where the A used to be just to make sure that nobody ever thinks like women, you know, have something to do with men. So we want to get the man word out of the word woman. Yeah. Gender is a social construct, but se- the sexes are not. And when the Pharisees came to Jesus, again to test him, verse 19, and they say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? By the way, who would even ask a question like that? I mean, only somebody who's thinking, how are they going to get out of this terrible marriage? I mean, that's the kind of person that asks that question. The Pharisees came and said, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And Jesus says, Haven't you read? Don't you know God's word? At the beginning, the Creator made them male and female. Not male and female and add another 50. He made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. They are no longer two. But one, therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Friends, it is not sex that joins people together. People have flings, they have one-night stands, they pay prostitutes. It happens all the time. Sex doesn't make a marriage. But when people commit themselves to to a permanent relationship and consummate that covenant between them sexually, it is God who joins them together. That's what Jesus says. There is a spiritual union that exists between a married couple. And that's why Jesus says, no, for for any and every reason, you can't get divorced. Because at the beginning, this was God's plan. This is why He made us male and female. This is what He wants. When I have the time, I like to make myself a leisurely breakfast, it's a real treat. Think of a two-egg omelet, two eggs, and you whip those two things together with a fork in a dish. After a while, you can't see the difference between the two eggs, can you? And once you've fried them in the pan for a little bit, flipped it, and added a bit of ziz or cheese, which is also what you need to do in a marriage, (laughs) there's no separating out those eggs again. The two have become one. And there is a spiritual bond, not that the marriage officer establishes, not that, wow, let's have sex, now we're one. No, which God joins two people together. Let me quickly say, I do believe there are situations where divorce does need to happen, particularly where there's domestic violence, where there is ongoing substance abuse and and children and others are in danger. Sometimes I've had to counsel people to divorce when financially it is so messy that there just needs to be closure to this terrible situation. And so I'm not saying that there are not real reasons why sometimes people have to divorce. But if we're totally honest, there are three prime primary reasons why people get divorced these days in our society. The first is, and if I've heard it once, I've heard it a hundred times, I've fallen out of love. Friends, that is no grounds for getting divorced. Here's a nice one that you'll hear from time to time. I think I will be happier without you. Okay, that's really good. Go ahead and think of yourself. Yeah, yeah. I'll be happier without you. How does that make the, the other spouse feel? And then there's the, I found someone else I'd rather be with. Sorry, you just didn't kind of shape up. And none of these reasons are legitimate reasons for divorce. They fly in the face of your Christian testimony and God's intention for marriage. Friends, I don't have to share with you today that the church is very confused about marriage and divorce. Very, very confused. The Catholic Church has a very strict view of the sanctity of marriage. They view marriage as a lifelong union, an indissoluble union, which is why Catholics are so opposed to divorce. They would sooner annul your marriage, even if it's 20 years down the line. They'll come up with some little reason about, oh, you weren't thinking straight on your wedding day. Oh, okay, we'll annul the marriage for, for some reason. Other churches don't care what you've done. It's a no-questions-asked approach. Other churches are happy to marry two men, two women. Who knows what's going to be next? There are even churches in South Africa that will happily marry you to multiple people all at the same time, which is obviously the kind of church that our former president went to. So sad to say, there is a rather large gap between what the Bible teaches around marriage and divorce and remarriage and with what churches practice. And I can assure you they can't all be right. It's not a case of, well, everybody's right. No, 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 it's not a case of everybody's right. Because these are completely contradictory ideas. There's even a very well-known church you will have heard of this church that started so that somebody could get divorced. Of course, it's the Anglican church. And I'm talking about 1534, when King Henry VIII fell out of love. He was married to Catherine of Aragon, and they'd been married for 20 years already. But one of her handmaidens took his fancy, Anne of Bolin. And so there they are. And so he said to the Pope, Pope, I need an, an annulment. I need out of this, and I need the church's blessing to, to have another round. Now, the, church would have prob- the Pope would have probably found a way to grant an annulment, okay, because that's how they used to operate back then, particularly if you're a person of power. Um, but unfortunately, in this situation, um, Catherine's nephew uh, happened to be quite high up in, in royalty, and so the Pope was put in a bit of a difficult position. So he said, sorry, King Henry, I'm not going to do that. And so he said, well, don't worry. I'll just start my own church. Okay, and that's where the Anglican Church comes from. Um, And he went on to have a few more wives. There they are. Uh, Poor old Catherine Howard uh, got beheaded. Um, But a couple of annulments in there, that's the official list. What's my takeaway from this story? And I think it's a very wise takeaway it's this. sometimes christians do and say things for their own selfish gain and not really because it's what the bible teaches when we come to the bible we all come with our traditions with our subconsciously held views on things And far too often we come to the Bible to find what we want it to say. The hard thing about interpreting the Bible is to do it in as objective a manner as possible. And sometimes if you do that you will be shocked by what the Bible teaches. Let's come now to Matthew 5 in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. Jesus obviously takes this whole sinning story quite seriously. Maybe a lot more seriously than we do. Verse 31, it has been said... Anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Again, I say to you, you've heard it said long ago, don't break your oath, but keep the oaths you've made to the Lord. Verse 37, let your yes be yes and your no, no. And if you've ever been in a marriage ceremony, you'll know that there's a yes there and there's a forsaking all others. There's a no as well. It's interesting to me that what Jesus has to say about divorce is sandwiched between what he has to say about lust and what he has to say about being a person who keeps their word. That's no coincidence. So when Jesus starts to speak about divorce, it's the same pattern throughout the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, it used to be like this, this is what you thought it was but now I'm showing you a new way to live. Verse 31. Verse 21, you've heard it said about murder, but now I tell you. Verse 27, it was like this, but now I tell you. You've heard it said about an eye for an eye, but now I tell you. You must love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 43, you've heard it, but I tell you. That's what's happening here when Jesus talks about divorce. He says, you've heard it was like this, that Moses gave a certificate of divorce, but now I'm telling you from here on, this is what applies. You'll also notice that he says anyone. It's a blanket statement. If anyone divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, Causes her to become an adulteress. I've put numbers next to the people involved in this passage. Just so you can identify who we're talking about. There are three people spoken about here in the Sermon on the Mount. I tell you the truth. If anyone, that's person one, divorces his wife, that's person two except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. Now they introduce a third party, a third person. And anyone, person three, who marries the divorced woman, our previous number two, commits adultery. Have you, have you seen that before? Do you, do you know what the significance of this is? And it's not, a, it's not an isolated text. Jesus says the same thing in Luke 16. This time there are four people. Anyone who divorces his wife, person two, and marries another woman, person three, now that person who did the divorcing, the man, commits, is committing adultery. And the man, person four, this is now a fourth outside party that's got nothing to do with one, two, or three. And if the man for who marries a divorced woman, it could be two or another divorced woman, commits adultery. Friends, I'm not making this up. This is what Jesus said. And, and some or other how we have to wrestle with it and, and try to work out what it means for us today. I can only conclude for myself that the reason this is so is because Jesus does believe that marriage is an indissoluble union. And so when other things happen, even with innocent people unrelated to the initial divorce and marriage, there there are implications for that new marriage. What What are we to make of this, Matthew 5? This whole idea of the Old Testament allowing for divorce. It's actually immaterial because Jesus said it used to be like this, but this is how it needs to be from here on, I say to you. But what are the facts around divorce in the Old Testament? Well, there were two schools of thought. There was the school of Hillel and the school of Shammai. It's the old liberals and conservatives. Hillel and his cronies said divorce was okay for anything, even trivial things. You don't like your wife's cooking, get another one. (laughs) Shammai was a far more godly man, I can only assume. He held that divorce was only permitted in the Old Testament for serious things such as adultery. So when people come to Jesus to test him in in Matthew 19, they're trying to find out, are you with Hillel or are you a Shammai guy? The Pharisees came to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Are you with Hillel or are you with Shammai? We want to know Jesus. And he says, Haven't you read? At the beginning, God created the male and female so that the two would form a new unit, become one flesh. They're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. And then is so often the case. Now they've got to push Jesus. They don't like his answer. What do you mean we can't get divorced for any and every reason? Well, what do you mean Moses allowed divorce Jesus? Don't you know? He commanded that if divorce happened, there was to be a legal certificate to give the woman some measure of protection. At least know what's going on. They use Moses' command. Jesus says, ah, 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 Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. He's saying that was a desperate measure for a desperate time. Moses permitted that, but it was not this way from the beginning. Even in the Old Testament, that was not what God wanted. And Jesus' response to that is, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except when there's been marital unfaithfulness, and marries another woman, commits adultery. And I want you to notice the disciples' response, because I'm going to come back to this. I warned you earlier, this is a real thinking sermon, okay? I want you to notice the disciples' reaction. They say... If this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry. They're blown away by what Jesus has said. And why would they be so surprised and shocked to find out that Shemai was wrong, right all along? I think there's something else going on here. What is this verse in the Old Testament that purportedly allowed for Divorce, well, we read about it in Deuteronomy 24, and what's clearly going on, which I, my understanding is that this is, refers to a man getting married to a woman and on his wedding night discovering she's not a virgin, And that's not what he signed up for, and that he's been misled. And that is the indecency that he finds in her, and so he wants to end the marriage. This is not talking about living with someone for 20 years and then thinking you want out. And even if you want to take this very seriously, this whole thing was all about verse 4. That if a man divorced a woman because he found, ooh, you're not who I thought you were, if she goes and marries another man and then another man, he can't decide later actually he does want to marry her. So that's what Deuteronomy chapter 24 is in all likelihood about. Another thing I want to share with you is this word causes her in the Sermon on the Mount. Why does a man divorcing his wife cause the wife to commit adultery? And the reason is because in that day and age, if a woman was divorced, if a woman was, was, was asked to leave her home, she had no other option but, but to enter into a new relationship with another man. And so for that reason... By divorcing her, he was, in effect, forcing his his wife to become an adulterer because she'd be forced into a relationship with another man. And don't we all know how often that used to happen, even until a few decades ago here in Cape Town? And I'm sure there are many places today where this still happens. Women are forced into unhappy marriages because they've been rejected by a former spouse. Jesus doesn't buy it one little bit. We're now getting to the most complicated part of this whole sermon, so please bear with me. Why does Jesus say here in Matthew 5? He seems to be saying that there's one exception where if there are other marriages that then happen after the first one, that it's it's not adultery. Uh, Where it says marital unfaithfulness, the Greek word is pornea, and it's where we get our pornography from, and pornea is a reference to serious sexual immorality, in all likelihood, adultery. So three views have been proposed. The first is that there would be some Christians that say, well, in Jesus' mind, If there's been adultery, that is grounds for the innocent partner to be able to remarry. If that's the situation, except in that situation. But what's interesting is that when Jesus says the same teaching in Mark's gospel and in Luke's gospel, there is no exception. It's a blanket. If anybody divorces his wife, marries somebody else, you're committing adultery. So this is a little bit confusing and and seems to contradict if then. Other people have said, well, the except is if a a man divorces his wife, uh, he causes her to commit adultery, except in the case where she's actually had an affair with someone else, then, well, she, she caused herself to be an adulteress. The man didn't cause it in that situation. So that's a second view. And then we come to a third very radical view, which I only discovered a year or two ago. And that is that there is some textual evidence that one Greek letter from one tiny Greek word has been changed. And that what Jesus is actually saying, and this is super radical, he's saying that if you divorce your wife, he's saying even in the case of adultery, even in the case of sexual immorality, and you marry someone else, you're committing adultery. That's very interesting. If anyone wants the academic article that explains that, I'll be happy to send it your way. I want to close with uh, well, one more Old Testament scripture before we wrap up, and that is Malachi 2. Malachi is just a few chapters to the left of Matthew's gospel, but he's preached 400 years before Jesus. And he's really got it in for the priests. And what's the problem with the priests? The priests have not set their hearts to honor God. Malachi says, for the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge. But you priests, you've turned from the way, and by your teaching, you have caused many to stumble. Bottom line, you have not followed my ways, and you have shown partiality in matters of the law. Another thing you people do, says Malachi, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and you wail. And you say, why isn't God paying me more attention? Malachi is about to tell them. Here he comes with his answer. It's because the Lord is acting as the witness against you and the wife of your youth. Because you've broken faith with her. Though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant not contract. Covenant. Has not the Lord made them one? In a few verses on, verse 16. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. And a man covering himself with violence. Friends, I've come to learn that divorce is a violent act. It happens in slow motion. It happens so painfully slowly that it doesn't look violent. But when someone has invested 20 years or 30 years or 40 years of their lives into a marriage and somebody says, I've had enough, that, that is a violent thing to do. It's causing somebody dreadful pain. The Lord hates divorce because of the pain it causes people, the people involved, because of the message it sends to other people, and because of other things to which we don't have time to get into i want to end on a positive note two quick stories the first is john chapter four here's jesus meeting a woman at the well you know the story well and jesus says hey i've got something very exciting to tell you please go and get your husband so i can share it with both of you she's like i don't have a husband Jesus kicks into prophetic mode. You're you're very right about that. You've had five husbands, and you're living with a guy right now who's not your husband. What you have said is quite true. (laughs) And you know what happens next? Jesus reveals to her for the very first time that he is the Messiah. No other person in the world has ever heard Jesus saying, I am the Messiah. But he saves that moment for this woman who's on to her sixth common law relationship. And then she goes on and causes revival in her hometown by telling people about Jesus. God uses this woman Yes, she's been with six men in relationships. But Jesus is respectful to her, reveals something amazing to her, and goes on to use her. The final story I want to share with you is from John 8. A woman is caught in the act of adultery. How you can catch a woman in an act of adultery and not a man is—is, I mean, maybe it was one of these virtual porn set-ups. Maybe the man was just a fast runner. Maybe he was Jewish and she was a Samaritan, so kind of the rules applied slightly differently. Maybe he had friends in high places who protected him. But whatever the situation, the woman is brought to Jesus. And once again, they're out to get Jesus. Ha! Now we've got you, Jesus. you such a nice guy. Well, are you going to stick with Moses and stone her? Or what are you going to do? We're going to get you good. What do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. What's Jesus going to do? Some art. Art helps you to think. He bends down and he starts to draw in the sand. People are, okay, what's it going to do? The woman is quaking and shaking. Am I about to be stoned to death? Because this crowd really does want to kill me right now. Jesus is riding in the sand. And Jesus comes up with such a clever answer. When they keep questioning him, he straightens up and he says, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he goes back to his artwork. What is Jesus writing on the ground? He's probably writing people's names and their secret sins. Yeah. And I like what he says next. Oh. I like that too, but we still got to like this. At this, those who heard him began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first. Don't you just love that, particularly if you're over 50? You see, the older you are, the more you've come to realize how sinful you are. Mm. and the more you've come to realize that your focus needs to be more on the speck in your eye than the log sticking out of someone else's and so one by one these self-righteous angry Pharisees perhaps with a bit of help from Jesus' drawings they leave and then Jesus says these words that have been immortalized has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. What a beautiful answer. Upholding the law of Moses, truth, but also grace. Let's pray. And worship team coming up to the stage. Lord, one of the things you said to the disciples was "Yeah, what we read today. And they said, wow, if this is the situation between a man and woman, it's better not to even get married. And then you said, not everybody can accept this but if you can, do. And we wanna pray today, Lord, for those in our congregation who've experienced, who are experiencing the pain of, of divorce, the rejection and the hurt. We pray, Lord, for your comfort in their lives. We pray for those that are being selfish, and you are set on on evil that you would bring conviction and repentance and we thank you lord for this um, these two amazing stories this woman who's had six relationships you loved her lord you revealed your identity to her and you used her to bring salvation to many others thank you that though you hate divorce you don't write us off and that you love divorcees and thank you for the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery lord we stand with her today and we thank you for your life-giving words neither do i condemn you go and leave your life of sin lord we pray for people that have divorced and remarried and maybe even numerous times and it's just got oh so complicated and how do we apply the scriptures and what applies now and well I wasn't a Christian when it happened and now I am and Lord we don't know the answers to all of that but bring peace bring clarity and guide us we pray in Jesus name amen